0: CHAPTER one OF BRINGING UP THE BOY by CARL WARNER This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Reading by Donald Cummings CHAPTER one-FROM BABY TO BOY Your son, madam, while passing a vacant house, paused, poised his arm, and deliberately sent a small stone crashing through one of the windows. Then, turning on his heel, he ran nimbly up the street, and disappeared around the corner you know it occurred because someone living next to the house saw him do it and told the owner and the owner came to you for reparation and you charged the boy with it and he admitted it to be true you are heartbroken because you find yourself confronted with what appears to be irrefutable evidence that your son is a bad boy you ask him why he did it he doesn't know you suggest that it might have been an accident being a truthful boy he replies tearfully that it was not you inquire if he had any grievance against the man who owns the house. He answers that he hadn't even heard of the owner and didn't know who he was. Then, you ask again, why did he do it? You get the same answer. I don't know. It certainly looks dubious for your boy, madam, doesn't it? If at the tender age of ten years a lad will deliberately chuck a stone through a neighboring window, with no reason or provocation for it whatsoever— what may he not be capable of at twenty? The thought is appalling, isn't it? Happily, however, I think it can be demonstrated to your complete satisfaction that your son is not bad, so far as this particular offense is concerned, anyway, and that this stone-throwing business is a perfectly natural thing for a perfectly normal boy to do. To start with, let us suppose that I have placed on your back fence, side by side, a brick and a bottle, I then hand you a little target rifle, and invite you to try your skill at shooting. Now, which will you aim at, the brick or the bottle? The bottle, of course. You answer more quickly than I can write it. And why the bottle? Just think that over a moment, please. Why the bottle? Meanwhile, let us go back to the boy in the window. The desire to see a physical result from any personal effort is deep-seated in every human being where is the author who does not take secret and real pleasure in scanning the achievements of his pen in the public print where is the architect who would forego the pleasure of seeing the finished structure the lines and masses of which he has dreamed over and designed the desire to see the result follow the endeavor the effect follow the cause is strong within us all it may seem a far cry from art and letters to the boy in the broken window but the psychologic principle involved is one and the same the boy sauntering along the street or the roadway has been amusing himself by throwing stones he has sent one against the side of a barn with no effect other than the sound of a hollow thud as it struck the boards he has heaved one at a telegraph pole and the pole didn't even quiver then he spies the vacant house it is obviously deserted and abandoned a pane already shattered in one of the windows starts the idea it is far enough back from the street to make the throw a test of skill if he misses there is no harm done if he hits there'll be a noise a crash a shower of flying glass and enough up goes the arm away goes the stone with fateful accuracy and the deed is done it was the act of a sudden impulse before the conscience within him could assert itself the missile had struck and that innate human ambition to produce a visible result was gratified. The deed is done, and the boy doesn't know why he did it. But returning to the hypothesis of the brick and the bottle, perhaps you, madam, can explain why you would prefer to shoot at the bottle. In these talks, I want to tell Mother something of what I know about boys. Not all about them, but just a few of the more vital things that every mother of the boy ought to know and every father ought to be reminded of. I say reminded advisedly, for the fathers must have known some time, though it would seem that most of them have forgotten now. What I say I know about boys, I know. What I may suggest or advise is another matter. It can stand only as a belief, an opinion, and my sole excuse for presuming to offer it is that I love the boy. I live close to him, and I believe in him i do not believe that the intuitiveness generally accredited to motherhood is in the least degree overestimated or exaggerated but mere intuitiveness even in its highest form of development can hardly be expected to bridge the natural gap of temperamental sex difference between mother and son unfortunately the father not eager to invade what he believes to be the mother's sphere usually is content to leave the management of the boy in the mother's hands while the mother not recognizing the deficiency of her position labors on patiently lovingly untiringly but in many cases blindly and often with poor success if mothers only understood this it would be better if they could be brought to realize the handicap under which they are striving they could fortify themselves against it they could deepen the interest of the father or failing that they could at least draw upon his experience and knowledge of real boyhood with good effect But there are no sex distinctions to the average mother. The boys and the girls are just the children, and the difference in sex is lost in the great catholicity of maternal love. At the very beginning, parents must concede the existence of an inherent temperamental difference between the boy and the girl. This, for the mother, is not so easy of adjustment as it may appear. The boy is her baby, just her baby, from swaddling clothes to long trousers the fact is of course that the assertion of the sex temperament starts almost with the beginning of life for the first four or five years it is to be sure almost a negligible quantity but after that the boy needs to be treated as a boy and not as a sexless baby put a pair of new red shoes on a little girl's feet and send her out among a group of misses shod in black then watch her plume herself and pose at the front gate and mince up and down the avenue as proud as a peacock now rig up the six-year-old boy in some new and untried kink of fashion and turn him loose on the highway and observe what follows note how sheepishly he looks down the street to where his playfellows are gathered and see how he edges toward them faltering and keeping as close to the fence as he can observe how just as he is trying to slip into their midst unostentatiously one of them cries in a shrill voice look who's here and another remarks oh what a shine and still another exclaims pipe the kelly meaning observe the hat then perhaps there is the very rude boy who asks whether the rags have been rassled. said inquiry being gently emphasized by a push from behind in which case the young glass of fashion having a gloomy premonition of what may happen to him at home if he returns bearing the marks of combat backs discreetly off the firing line and retreats to his own dooryard with as small loss of dignity as the exigency of the occasion will permit and he is pretty sure to stick there the remainder of the afternoon while occasionally other boys in regulation woolens or corduroys peep at him curiously through the palings making him feel like one of those unpronounceable animals that they keep in cages and lecture about at the zoo Do you think this characteristic of the boy really signifies that he is notional? Do you put it down merely to finicality? Then you do him a great injustice. In the true analysis, it is quite the opposite. It is but one feature of a unique democracy, a splendid democracy that you will find holding sway wherever boys gather. Oh, this democracy of boyhood is a wonderful thing. To me, it is the regime beautiful. There is something so inspiring about it for here in this quaint domain of dare and do you see every sturdy little chap regardless of clothes creed or family position standing on his own merits and judged by his own deeds why some others persist in little lord fauntleroying their boys within an inch of their lives is to me a profound mystery can any mother enlighten me on the long curls cruelty is it selfish vanity could any mother for the mere gratification of an egoistic desire be so unfeeling feeling as to send her helpless boy out into the scene of humiliation and actual physical torture of which the boy with the long curls becomes the pitiable centre as soon as he turns the corner i do not like to think so rather i would believe as in the case of the broken window that the mother's error is chargeable to her never having been a boy she has a faulty conception of what it means to be yanked about by those boy-hated ringlets of gold, to be harassed and taunted by the inordinate but happier Hoyle I recall one afternoon when I took a youngster of three around to the barber's to have him shorn. I returned with the boy in one hand and the curls in the other. He was magnificently cologned and wanted everybody to smell it. The mother was waiting with an empty shoebox in her lap she was sitting by the window in the soft half-light of the early evening and she caressed the gold and bronze ringlets before putting them away and something glistened in her eye and it fell into the box and was packed away with the curls i shouldn't wonder if it were there yet for somehow i can't help thinking that a tear like that must crystallize into a tiny pearl and glisten on forever but when this mother looked up at the boy she was smiling almost proudly and she patted the shiny round head and kissed it cologne and all and quoted a verse about having lost a baby and gained a man declaring that he really looked much better than she had expected and the boy was put to bed and slept coolly and comfortably and he had a clean scalp and a clear conscience ever since i guess but here i am taking up the reader's precious time talking about clothes and curls neither of which mere man is supposed to know anything about When all i meant to do was to emphasize the fact that long before a half-dozen of his birthdays have been celebrated the boy must be taken up as an abstract proposition at the age of five then let us say the boy reaches the stage of recognizable and indisputable masculinity this is the logical time for the properly constituted father to take the helm of the son's destiny if he does not do so through lack of interest lack of time or lack of the faculty for it the mother must needs go on with the struggle her five years of training the baby will not come amiss in training the boy but she must now reckon with boyhood as a distinct classification of childhood she must remember that from now on every year every month every day widens the gap of sex divergence she will do well to look at the bearded men who pass her door and consider that every attribute of masculinity exists embryonically in her round-faced baby boy. From now on, if she hopes to appeal to the best that is in him, she must not only study the boy, but she must study the world from the boy's viewpoint. The nearer the mother can get to the boy's inner emotions, the more effectively can she direct the trend of his mental, moral, and physical development. Herein lies the secret of getting and keeping a grip on the boy. End of chapter 1